The Business of Agriculture is brought to you by Land Trust. Have you heard how landowners are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use? Millions of outdoor recreators seek wide open spaces for bird watching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Landowners are partnering with the Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit landtrust.com/boa as in business of agriculture to learn more. That's landtrust.com/boa. Greetings, hey, welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business of Agriculture. It's me, your host, Damian Mason, but you already knew that because you heard that in the introduction. Uh, the Business of Agriculture is so excited because you know what? We've not only got great sponsorship like uh, my friends at Land Trust, we also are now well into our 200s of episodes. That's right. It's like episode 214, I think, you're listening to right now. Go back and listen to all the great stuff. And if you do, you'll find today's guest. His name is Justin Luton of Luton Farms. Luton Farms is a huge crowd operation out of Bennett, Colorado, just a little bit northeast of Denver, 32,000 acre operation. Mr. Luton was on this podcast about 100 episodes ago. That's right. A couple of years ago, I was a speaker for the California, I'm sorry, Colorado Ag Leadership Program. Uh, I met him. He was a guest on this podcast. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, today, Justin joins me because we're going to talk about the issue of what we are seeing coming out of Washington, D.C. in way of subsidies and at the farm level. And mostly it looks like it's going to be centered around green, 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 carbon, 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 cover crop, cover crop, green, 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 conservation, conservation. They don't even use the word conservation anymore. Now it's all about green. So Justin's got to tell me what he's been seeing out there. And we're going to talk about how it affects us at the farm level. Mr. Luton, welcome to the business of agriculture. Thanks for having me on, Damien. Again. Uh, again, you are repeat guest that puts you in like this minority. There's only like maybe a dozen people that have been repeat recurring guests. So, you know what? I mean, this is like when Charo was on Love Boat always. I mean, if you if you if you're not old enough to remember Love Boat, uh, say you're referencing something a little past my age there. <laughs> All right. Justin's a cool dude and a smart guy. He also is a Purdue grad, uh, you know, and we favor those people around here, uh, even though he's out in Colorado. Most people from Colorado don't make it uh, east of the river. And he did to go to uh, to the west side of the other river, meaning the west side of the Wabash River in West Lafayette, Indiana, to go to Purdue. Justin, tell me a little bit about your operation, and we're going to talk about how these things are going to impact you and other farm operators, because I, this whole discussion started with you and I on Twitter when I said, "What are we? What, what's really going to happen here with all these green initiatives? Because USDA sends me an email about once a week, and I read through it just so I can keep up with the business. Looks like they're going to throw a lot of money uh, at green initiatives. So what do you, what do you do with your business and how is it going to impact you? I guess is the big question. Yeah. So background on us. Yeah. We're a very large operation. Well, in comparison to most, I've got a farm five miles away. That's more than double what we are, but we're 32,000 acres, but we're the main thing is we're 102 years old this year. Um, my great grandpa moved out from far Northeast Kansas, uh, just basically just Southwest of St. Joe, Missouri, because he was tired of rocks and trees. And apparently he was tired of rain as well. That's kind <laughs> of a joke I made with grandpa at the time, but, yeah. um, we grow, we're pretty diverse considering our size. So we grow mainly winter wheat, 
as about a third of our operation. Confection sunflowers for export to Spain, corn, non-GMO corn, millet, milo, and yellow peas. I'm trying to make work as part of a harvestable cover crop and, and diversity in our rotation. So again, we're going to get back to what we're seeing coming out of Washington DC and how it affects the farm level, but to cover a couple of things, first off, I tell everybody when you, uh, when you folks are out there, I'm like, um, you know, if, if you would, if you would try and farm where we actually get precipitation, it'd be a hell of a lot easier on you. Um, you know, that's why we here in Indiana, uh, you know, we grow stuff because we get a thing called precipitation. Anyway, big thing you're talking about there is uh, you said confection sunflowers for the person that doesn't understand that. Cause I have, I have folks from the whole gamut of ag, uh, you know, here, sunflowers are produced for two things, right? Yep. Uh, oil or human consumption. And so yep. those that are raised for human consumption are the ones that are referred to as confection, correct? That is correct. And all of ours actually are, are shipped to Spain because of in this area, we're able to grow a really long, uh, thick seed. Europeans eat seed, sunflower seeds one at a time, whereas Americans grab a handful and chuck them in our mouth. So the ones that you get in a bag here are actually our rejects. Uh, so it's a little interesting that way we've done it for probably 35 years uh and they're an extremely drought tolerant crop it's exactly what you should be growing where you don't get precipitation is sunflowers and, and millet as you said but real quickly by the way i think if you asked the average european and you stood the average european next to the average american it'd be very obvious that they eat things one at a time and we eat things by the handful uh you know french fries cheeseburgers you, you name it we're we're we're, 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 <clears throat> we're bigger eaters than them uh real quickly then uh, and we're going to talk about these programs. You are, uh, you were in the California, Colorado ag leadership program when I met you. So you're one of these guys that's pretty forward thinking. you got a big operation. You're always looking at the business side of it to a certain degree. We all have to manage these government programs. I mean, I read the USDA yep. e emails. Some of the stuff doesn't impact me at all, but I need to know what's happening, you know, about signing up for the County average arc payments or whatever, which it doesn't really impact me because I rent my land out. But when I see the stuff about initiatives on conservation, um, you and I have been seeing more and more of this. What's your, what's your read on this right now? I mean, it's been growing, but now it's like at a fever pitch with the new regime in DC. Is that, is that an accurate assessment? Yeah. And I would say a lot of it is, is reactionary. And as we've had discussions with senators in DC and in Colorado as well, or, and congressmen, they don't understand that a lot of these things we've already been doing. <laughs> um, yeah. They think that we're very much simpletons and it's green acres with a, you know, an M out there plowing up every acre that we can in some areas you have to, I mean, you get in the red river Valley where it's cold all the time. You've got super heavy black dirt. You've got to turn it black to get it planted on time. Yeah, to get, to get, to get the, to get you the know. soil temperature up in those areas, they do do a lot yep. more till, tillage and yep. cultivation. So that way they, uh, the sun, sunshine can heat up the dirt soil. Yep. Um, but here we've got, we've got fields. I'm 27 that I've never seen cultivated, you know? Yeah. So it's, we've been doing this for three decades and there's a lot of areas across the nation that are doing that. Um, it's like I say, it's reactionary and it's not going to end up being very fair because the government should not, but it does pick winners and losers. It seems. And that's kind of the direction that you're going. When you talk about having to pay attention to these subsidies, um, I'm kind of an albatross. 
my preference would be to have a complete free market and say, get rid of the subsidies and such. But we also have to realize that these subsidies are not about, they're not about soil health. They're not about um, helping the farmer. It's about cheap food and keeping, keeping the general population happy. And the general population says climate change is an issue. And they say, okay, how do we, they think carbon is a major issue. Okay. So how do we sequester carbon? It's not, how do we sequester carbon? That, that the question they should be asking is how do we measure it? Yeah. And when you start at things thinking that what we're doing is a hundred percent wrong without any background education on it, or even just a general understanding, you start out with the wrong premise of how to do it. And when you're looking at subsidies this way, I may not want to take the subsidy because we've been doing it for 30 years, but the problem is my neighbor may take it and it's nothing against them or anything like that either. And in the Midwest, we talked about that. Um, when it comes to cover crops. Okay. So you're going to get paid 25 bucks an acre for a cover crop. Yeah but I can't grow a cover crop and then grow a crop after it simply because of the water usage. It's not, the issue is that government wants to put a cookie cutter situation yeah. in and it just doesn't fit for agriculture. Yeah. I mean, everybody's you know, climate change, climate change, climate change. No, no, which has moved, moved from global warming to climate yep, change, exactly. to climate crisis to now they're calling it climate, climate, climate catastrophe. But anyway, you've said a lot, obviously, Justin, that's why I have you on here because you're a smart guy with a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff to say. First off, you talked about government policy and uh, let's go back there. That was a few minutes ago. Um, in my book, Food Fear, uh, which is all about the past and present and future of the business of agriculture, I point out that when Abraham Lincoln signed in the law that created the United States Department of Agriculture, he called it the People's Department. Uh, it was very much, as you said, more than any other government agency, it's been about <clears throat> uh, appeasing and or, um, shall we say, calming the masses, uh, fed people don't storm the Bastille. Uh, and as I point out, uh, Americans are so obese, they couldn't even walk up to the Bastille. If you don't know what reference I'm making right there, that's Marie Antoinette and uh, the French Revolution. Anyway, uh, let them eat cake. So anyway, <clears throat> more than anything, USDA has been all about um, uh, about what you said is keeping the, the populace fed, therefore calm. And then you also said one thing that we also do is we react to political will. Now, I've pointed out that the masses believe that climate change is this huge, huge thing because activist groups have programmed and the media has perpetuated this. I actually am not as alarmist about this. I think that um, that is, is a big overblown thing because crisis always then means create power and wealth transfers. Uh, and, you know, the United Nations actually is heading up this summit that's going on right now as we're recording this in Glasgow, Scotland. And it's all about climate change, saving humans from a certain disaster. The United Nations have been perpetuating crisis since its inception. It was that we were all going to die of nuclear war. That was the reason the United Nations was created after, post, after World War II. Then we're all going to die of starvation. Well, the reality is there's less starving people today than there have ever been. Uh, in modern and modern humanity. Um, so what's the next thing that they have to perpetuate the crisis of climate? So this thing has got wheels only in that it's become a, a force. It's become a political force. And so right now we're hearing about this. So what does the Biden administration trot out right in timing with going to Glasgow is we're going to tackle climate change and here's some initiatives. And they went big on the agriculture thing. We've not seen any of these things actually happen yet. Right. I mean, the new proposals what I'm talking about, we're not seeing any of them. Right. 
That's correct. We haven't really, we haven't seen what they're actually going to try and shove down our throats. They've got yeah. proposals out, but who knows what it's actually going to say at the, at the end. And, and it's not the big item stuff. It's going to be the fine print. That's the issue. And then you made another brilliant point, Justin, because my brother, when he was still alive, he's, he's uh, deceased now, the dairy farmer said, you know what these programs do, they end up that you end up, as you know, if you're a farmer, you have no choice but to play the programs because it'd be foolish not to. I mean, they're, they're going to give you these set of circumstances and then make it so you can profit from uh, operating under the program. And sometimes you're like, this isn't even, for instance, you said, sometimes they're punishing the person that's already doing the right thing. If you were putting out, um, if you were putting out cover crops all along, and then all of a sudden it became the trendy thing to do. Right now they're saying, we're going to give you $25 an acre toward your cover cropping. You're like, but only if you start now. I'm like, well, hell, I've been doing it for that. So you got to stop for a couple of years, then restart. I mean, that's where the thing is always kind of uh, dodgy, right? Yeah, well, and it probably, farmers probably won't go backwards. They pr- if they've got a no-till situation, they probably won't pull the bull board plow across it because they see the benefits of it. And especially in your area, it's probably not worth 25 bucks an acre. But the issue is uh, Senator Michael Bennett also had a proposal uh, about a year and a half ago. I, I think it was about that long ago where they were going to have major tax rebates and funding to pay for equipment to go to new practices. That's where there's going to could be a major change in stuff because it's not cheap to change your entire practice. For example, for us, we've, when we go to no-till, we run Shelbourne stripper heads. It just takes the head off of the wheat. So we leave three foot of stubble out there. We can no r- longer run a hoe drill through it because it looks like a, it works like a giant comb. So you have to go to dish drills. That alone adds about four and a half bucks an acre to our initial cost of putting wheat in the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you apply that across 10,000 acres every year over the last 35 years, it adds up in a, in a big hurry in what our initial costs are, but we see the benefits of it long-term down the road. And so there's, it's, it's these ideas of we're going to fund people to do something new that is already has a benefit. If they see the benefit to it, they will do it. Yeah. Whether there's funding or not. And so the programs that I'm seeing touted are first off, let's talk about the $25. That's how you and I began the conversation. And then I think it was you or one of the other people in my Twitter feed that said, you know, we've been doing, it was a guy named Jim Sproul that is actually um, uh, uh, in the, he works for an agriculture cooperative. He says the program already through NRCS is that you get $25. So what's new about this? Is this just the government getting credit for what they've already been doing or what the hell are they talking about an additional, do you know? Uh, my understanding is that it's an additional $25 an acre. Okay. Uh, so that's my understanding talking- of it. I don't know how it's going to end up though. Cause you never know with government. And yeah. And now you're talking about 50 bucks an acre for me to go out and put cover crops. And let's say for the person that's listening right now, that doesn't even know what we're talking about. A cover crop means you're putting something out there to grow on the soil, to protect it during the season. That's not really your season. In other words, yeah. Uh, if Justin was going to put in a cover crop, uh, he'd probably do it on, let's say what, uh, your sunflower acres, right? How would you go about doing it? Well, we would go for us, we would do it, um, probably after our fall harvest or after wheat harvest as well. And try and in that mini fowl period and go until at least the next spring where we're going to plant, for example, where we plant sunflowers, we try to plant millet behind that a high water use crop followed by a low water use crop, low residue versus high residue. We'd probably try and have 
a some type of cover crop from now. We finished sunflower harvest yesterday until June one when we plant millet. And it would just, it's a living root system. The idea is that you're going to hold water. You're going to hold nutrients towards the surface. You're going to have less uh, erosion, whether it's wind or water erosion. And then you're going to plant into it and you're going to have more, you're going to be more likely to have those nutrients at the top. And their idea is that you'll have that water capacity at the top as well. And you'll have better living biomass underneath. So the programs, here's the thing. You just said a lot of things that you're already doing because it's a smart thing to do from a land stewardship perspective. If these programs come about, <clears throat> what will you do? You just said, uh, okay, we want you to do this. And as you pointed out, one practice you do, $4.25 an acre spread across 10,000 acres, that's a $42,000 adjustment, right? Uh, what what would you see yourself doing based on some of the proposals we're talking about? Because Again, let's go with cover crops. You said the problem is we don't have enough precipitation to make it work sometimes. Yeah. Well, it depends on how they wrote it. Because if you, let's take it to an example of you're going to, we don't make 25 bucks an acre the last couple of years. We don't make, we've lost money the last couple of years. And so that's Across the, board, the way, is, that, is that on everything? Yeah. It's been brutal here the last couple of years. Um, 2020 and 2021 have been not very fun. Yeah. Um, but when you look at, I'll bring up a different point and I'll get back to it. When you look at these subsidies, I don't look at it as them paying me to do anything. I look at it as a tax refund because even though we lost money, a significant amount, we still had to pay taxes. And so that's just my tax money coming back to me. Right. Um, I mean, we could solve a lot of those issues by just simplifying this. But um, when it comes to a new program like this, where it's 25, if it, let's say it was 25 bucks an acre, it depends on what their requirements are because that could turn into a no risk situation and I can put cover crops out for five bucks an acre or something like that, yeah. spread them out on top and you collect 25. It depends. I can see guys doing that. It's just like the organic cotton deal was in Texas a few years ago because the insurance was so high and the subsidies were so high at that stage, they could make money by having a failed cotton crop right. versus having a good cotton crop. Right. And yeah, so you know, if you have those decisions in, in a really arid area of make a little bit of money doing something that you don't like or trying to grow a crop, it's going to make people question what they should do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. And again, you, you don't, it's not in any way underhand. It's just that, uh, you know, you, you play the cards that are dealt to you, right? Well, um, the first rule of sustainability is being financially sustainable yeah. and, if you're not in business next year, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it's no different than the CRP program in a lot of ways. And you want to talk about climate and such like that. There's an area in Southeast Colorado, like Baca County. It was kind of the heart of the Dust Bowl. When you go from that area down into Oklahoma, they're talking about pulling roughly 30,000 acres out of CRP, which should never have been broken out of sod in the first place. It's just the best thing for it is to leave it in sod yeah. and let cows run on it. But yeah. because of our sustainability, we have to pull those acres out and they're only going to put in maybe two thirds of them again. Mm -hmm. Well, it's backwards. We're doing yeah, so, things. So Justin, twice. why are, why would that? Like, yeah. By the way, that's the other thing that uh, sometimes the program says for it to be in um, a conservation reserve program, it has to have been cropped for two of the last five years, I think is one of the requirements. So if you have something that's, a turd that should have, should never, you know, should be nothing, as you said, nothing more than 
sod, nothing more than grazing lands or trees or whatever. You'll see people that clear it off and then crop it. So they put it in the program. Is that what you're seeing happening? Not so much in this area, but simply because when you're in a brutal climate, like we are at times, you quickly learn to not keep pushing a bad hand. But we've seen that previously when crop prices get up, stuff comes out of CRP. When crop prices go down, it goes back into CRP. And that's all an economic game. But what they're trying to say is that's also a climate sustainability game. I don't see it working that way. Right. So uh, the programs that are being outlined now also talk about carbon. Um, I'm trying to learn because this is still the Wild West. You know, I've had a farmer on here. He's part of Extreme Ag, which, dear listener, if you are a viewer, uh, if you are a farm person or you want to know what's happening on farms, check out my work with Extreme Ag. That's Extreme, X-T-R-E-M-E, ag.farm. Recording videos, podcasts, all kinds of informative content with these guys. And Kelly Garrett is one of the founders of Extreme Ag. He is the one of two farmers I know uh, that was fast out of the gate of getting a payment for carbon. Uh, I think it's Shopify is paying him money for practices that he does in his Iowa acres in terms of no-till and cover cropping and things like this to sequester carbon. Now the government's talking about getting into this game. It's still not a regulated market. Um, It still is really, really, um, I think, in its infancy, and, and it's also tough to define. Um, it's a bit like selling invisible rays. What do you think about this carbon thing, uh, Mr. Justin? Again, I think it's it, the issue is a cookie-cutter solution to it. Yeah, right. In the Midwest, where you get rain and such, it's a different situation than when we're out here. We've had two of the hottest and driest years in Colorado history the last two years, literally both in the top five. Two years ago, when I would dig behind an air seeder or a planter, I could not dig more than three or four inches before I found an earthworm. I don't think I could take six shovelfuls of dirt and find one now because of how hot and dry it's been. And when it's that hot, you burn carbon out of the soil. And so my, one of our concerns as wheat growers, um, whether it's at the state level or at the national level is, are you going to be punished if they're, tracking what your carbon levels are, are you going to be punished in drought years and have to make payments back because you burned carbon in those years, whether it's your fault or not? Yeah. So you talk about measuring. There's no answer to that. You know, it's one thing to say the practices. Uh, Okay. We're going to pay you money from the government if you do these things. You know, I've made the point behind my desk right here in this field behind my house uh, here at the farm. I've got about uh, 94 acres. I think it is 90 acres or so of, um, alfalfa and it's clearly it's a cover crop it's a perennial essentially it's it's right there for it's about a five-year program on this i mean we're we're doing everything right we've got a, a field that not does not blow away does not wash away and also has green stuff on it all year round nobody paid me to do that necessarily in this new program they're talking about on carbon sequestration i've got 40 acres of woods on this property i don't get any government uh payment for sequestering carbon through my woods was we know that those trees are uh hell, we keep hearing that the amazon is the the lungs of the planet well then what about my 40 acres of woods aren't they the lungs for uh indiana and so are we going to see payments for these things it tends to be, they say, no, only if you begin these new practices. So again, what do I need to go out and bulldoze my woods and then plant trees to get it? That's, that's what you keep wondering about. 
and A, on the practices. Now, B, you talked about measurability. What do you think? So we, they talk about being able to measure in force and such. And I think that is, I think you could probably measure that more easily than elsewhere because it's, it's relatively stable in what it's, what it's doing each year. <laughs> Trees, unless they burn, they're going to be there next year. Yeah. In agriculture, it's going to be varying hugely. And we, I sat in a, a senator's office in D.C. and I said, how are you going to measure this? I said, they said, well, we're going to look at it in the atmosphere. I said, okay, so how are you going to measure the carbon difference in the atmosphere in any way that's not going to be influenced by your neighbors? Let's say you've got that 40 acres there. How are you not how are you going to measure that 40 acres or even let's make it bigger. Yeah. Our biggest field is 960 acres. Even yeah. if you stuck a probe in the middle of that, you're going to be influenced by the other tens of thousands of acres right. that are around it. They yeah. said, well, then we'll stick probes in the ground. Okay. <laughs> How are you going to handle that? When by August we're tip, everything is typically dead here, whether it, it's just, we're out of moisture, everything's drying down for the season. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to handle it when it ha when you hit a drought period? Um, I think they're going to try and put something out there, but it's going to be like trying to measure climate change in general. Yeah. yeah well, it's by be the way, a lot of guessing guesswork and algorithms and models and models have an issue of being exponential because that's, what they try to be. <laughs> well, uh, well, your, your, your point and my point are essentially the same in that we can pay for practices. Well, we, yep. the government, whatever, us taxpayers can pay for practices, but does that actually mean that we're getting results? Um, they pay me for a certain practice and they pay you for the same practice. And like you said, just climatologically bullshit about climate change. We know that what happens in Northeast Colorado is very different. What happens in Northeast Indiana, just because of the, the weather patterns that have always existed. So do you see, here's another one that was brought up in our little Twitter feed. Um, let's say Dan Mason figuring out a way to get money from the government for carbon sequestration. Does that preclude me from then getting it from private? Does, you know, Microsoft is allegedly giving a bunch of money uh, through intermediaries to farmers for practices that are supposed to sequester carbon. If I take money from the government, does it preclude me from that? Do you think? I think it will. I think it's going to be a choose one or the other. I don't see any way that you're going to be able to double dip into that pot. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that. And then also, if you noticed right now, the big companies and you're a large enough farmer that these people, you're definitely a, a suitor. I mean, they, 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 they come to your, they come to your office. Sure. I mean, if, if I got, uh, if I got a 50 acre farm out here, I don't get a lot of attention. When I got 30,000 acres, I get a lot of attention, right? You probably have had companies that come to you and say, we want to buy your carbon or we want to broker your carbon. Have you had that discussion? We actually haven't had anybody come this way. Um, I think that's more of a situation that they don't think of agriculture in Colorado. So I'm, I'm guessing if people are coming door to door on that, it's going to be in the Midwest and such. I mean, I've gotten emails from different places, yeah. but I think that's just a blast at, you know, they look up, who, who's in this area and they send a blast out to everyone. So what I'm told is, uh, and then again, we're getting away from the government part of it or the, the private part of it, the, the Bayers and the Lando Lake slash now true Terra 
um, they want to broker your carbon. And I'm hearing it. I have not seen proposals. Nobody's come to me and said, Damien, yep. you know what? Your UK rent this land, but uh, make sure that your tenant does that. I haven't seen any numbers. Have you? Well, I haven't seen exact numbers, but I've seen that practice in, in action. Uh, FBN, Farmers Business Network. Yep. Uh, I don't remember who they, I think it was gradable that they signed a deal with and they're going to be part of the carbon market that way. So I can see where some of that is going. Yeah. I can too, but it's still, again, it's, I've heard everything from $6 an acre to that. You should be getting 35. Well, there's a hell of a difference. As you pointed out, that could be your margin. I mean, we've seen plenty of years where if you made $35 an acre margin, you know, you were, you lived to find another day, this carbon thing could end up being the margin, but there's a hell of a difference between six and 35, right? Absolutely. There is. And I think it's so much in its infancy of trying to figure out what it's going to be. Um, if somebody came to me with a deal right now, I'm not certain, even if it was 35 bucks an acre, whether I would sign it or not because, yeah, because of what are the stipulations and what's it going to be down the road. If they, if we continue pushing this, what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you that you'd be reluctant to sign up for anything that seemed too long term because this, again, you know, we are at the very, it seems like the beginning of this and um, well, we are at the beginning of this and you don't know what sort of programs, what if in the, all of a sudden out of well, the Glasgow thing, they, they decide, Hey, you know what? If you're a corporation, you just need to be giving this much money away for carbon offsets. Cause that's the new thing now And there. The companies are doing it voluntarily so they can appease their shareholders. I mean, that's where yeah. this is going, right? Yeah. Well, and it's already, the conversation has already started to turn from paying farmers to do something to fining them for not doing something. There was the an article yes. about a year ago, a farmer in Pennsylvania, and I'm not going to say who wrote it, uh, got payments from Arizona state university to change his practices and such. And this article was like five pages long about, well, why are we doing this? He said, he's seeing a benefit from it. He's getting m more money of it. Anyway, we should be, finding people for not doing it. Yeah. Well, that's agriculture is typically when it comes to the carrot and stick philosophy, we always get the stick. We rarely get the carrot. And that's just the nature of, of being a base industry. Well, we get, we get the subsidies. So the person listening to this, like I always reference my, you know, my suburban friends that listen to this to stay up on ag, they'll say, but you, what are you talking about? You don't get the carrot. We give you subsidies. We do that. But again, that's generally to guarantee in a abundant and affordable food supply. But when it comes to environmental stuff, we get things like the conservation reserve program. I've got 16 acres enrolled in it, put in prairie grass and tree plantings and all that. So I, I get paid to plant that stuff. And then the person in suburbia would say, I mean, we're paying you to not grow crops. I'm like, well, it's actually a government contract. I have a contract with the government that says I will maintain prairie grass. I will, uh, you know, burn it off every three years for, uh, you know, control of uh, invasive species, all this kind of stuff. That's a carrot to, to have me put in a conservation practice. So there is a carrot, Justin, but generally it, when it comes to, like you said, if you don't do this or like, let's talk about, materials handling. Uh, if you fuck up your, if you mess up your, uh, and nitrogen and all of a sudden it goes down to the water supply of Denver, you not only get the stick, you get prosecuted, right? Yeah. And it's interesting. There was actually a study put out by Boulder County a couple of years ago where they were going to go after feedlots and dairies along the North Platte or the South Platte river there. 
and think saying that they were huge uh, polluters and such. And what that study found was actually Boulder's own wastewater treatment facilities were the number one polluter of the plat. And oddly, that study got very quiet very quickly. Yeah, nobody but when it comes, they didn't want to blame themselves in Boulder for pooping. Uh, so it's easier to go down, and the vegans can be very against the the dairy farm down the road. But then when it comes to no, actually, it's you and your sewage. Oh, well, I, I guess we have we we just better be quiet about it. Yeah, that happens all the time. Yep. Yeah. And it's one of those things when you look at, okay, so you can call it a subsidy for CRP and such, and we can look at those as carrots, but the flip side of that is it's a competition as well versus your neighbor. I mean, it is a, it, we are competing against our neighbors. And so I don't necessarily look at some of that stuff as a carrot anymore because it's okay. Let's look at crop insurance. For example, they have, I believe it's up to 60% of crop insurance is subsidized. Yeah. I don't believe that prices of crop insurance would go up hugely if we weren't subsidized because look at any government contract, it's usually a cost plus and it's cost plus 30% on a lot of stuff. So free market will solve a lot of those things. And if people look at, if your house burns down, they're going to pay you to fix your house or rebuild it to that level. When I have a hailstorm come through, I get 75% of that. And the next year, my APH, my approved yields go down because of that. Yeah. So, so what are you talking about, dear listener, what he's talking about, in case you don't understand, the government does pay or at least subsidize the premium that you pay for crop insurance. So Justin yep. buys crop insurance. The reason they want him to have crop insurance, if he gets wiped out, then we have an unstable food supply. So again, this is why the government subsidizes crop insurance. Didn't used to be 20, 30, 50 years ago when I was a kid, they didn't do this thing. And crop insurance was really not the norm. Now crop insurance is the norm. The acres around me are insured. Why? Because A, it's financially prudent to do so as a farmer. B, the government subsidizes your premium so that we have a stable food supply. More importantly, they want Justin to be in business again next year. So that again, we have a stable food supply. What he just said, if a hailstorm comes through and, and uh, whaps out his wheat crop, he doesn't get made whole. He gets then in the 75 to 85% you can insure for. Yeah, it's whatever you signed up for. I mean, you could be from 65 up to 95, depends on what you pay. 75 is typically the sweet spot. That's where we go with everything. And so you get 75% of your APH. Of expected yield. And yep. as you said, then it also brings down what next year's expected yield would be. So then it just it continues to be a vicious cycle in that regard. Yep. And so like the last two years where we've been absolutely decimated by drought. I mean, last year, because I'm trying to fill a non-GMO contract, uh, we scraped up corn that was anything over five bushel an acre. And so when you do that a couple of years in a row, you take your you have to understand that we're not in a area where we're growing two hundred bushel corn either. Our yield goal is 75 bushel. So it's, a, it, it's just different that way. But if you start at an APH of 75 and then you have a five bushel yield and it takes you down to 73, and then you have another one that's 20 something that takes you down and you just keep ratcheting yourself down pretty soon, you're unprofitable at any level and you insurance no longer works the way it's intended. What about the programs? Because we're going to wrap things up here. What about the programs that you're seeing proposed that you see you actually hopping on to? Um, on the carbon, you already said you see yourself being probably in a hold pattern. Um, uh, you know, I, I would, too, because it's still too in its infancy. 
if I sign up for the government thing, does that preclude me from getting Microsoft money through Truterra as an intermediary? Don't know. Uh, Cover crops. You've already stated in much of your acreage, it doesn't work just because of the timing and the the window uh, and and the window of precipitation and also germination, right? If you go out there in November and in Colorado, you're going to be too cold to get germination and yada, yada. Any programs you see that are proposed that you are going to hop onto as it relates to the green initiatives being bandied about? I just don't see many for the Western producer. They're going to be very applicable. Um, Most things, whether it's equipment or government projects or anything like that, are made for 400 miles each side of the Mississippi River. And that's just the reality of it. Um, hey, you came, you came out here to go to college and it sounds oh, like all it, all it did was all it meant to do is make you smarter and then more bitter about being out there in the West. <laughs> no, I'm not bitter at all. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's just the reality of what it is because that's, that's the agricultural belt of the nation. And that's where they focus their energy, whether it's John Deere building a combine, it's made for corn and beans. Yep. You put it in the high plains at 5,000 feet of altitude, trying to harvest wheat in 105 degrees. And it's just a different world than what it is there. And um, it's any prudent business decision at that stage. It's put it where most of your, yeah, most of your money yeah, is. Yeah, cover, cover 80% or whatever. Cover the, cover the yep. vast majority of stuff. So you don't yep. see any programs that are being pitched uh, out of the whole green initiative that would be applicable to Justin and the people of Luton Farms? The only ones that I see would be somewhat like the tax program where they talked about paying for new equipment or, or deducting it off of taxes and things along those lines. Cause I can still see there's, there's some approaches that can be taken there. The yeah, you'd, you'd, see yourself, you'd see yourself, for instance, if they said, if you or do this practice and it requires this type of equipment, you're saying that's a practice we already kind of do or want to do more of, and I'm going to be, uh, now you could buy it and amortize it over time and justify the government. Yeah. Yep. It's just like uh, the weed it system where it's spot spraying individual weeds instead of uh, basically blanket spraying everything. That system on 120 foot boom two years ago was 97,000 per machine. I can see that as being something that that's a new practice that could be applicable in that situation. I still don't like any of it. If if the government pays or at least gives you tax incentives, meaning, meaning you pay less or you can rapidly amortize is what you're talking about. Rapid depreciation is one that's been done before in agriculture that it helps boost a bunch of equipment sales, which we don't even need right now because there's no machinery and it was already bad. Then John Deere went on strike, et cetera, et cetera. You're saying you would participate in one of these rapid depreciation tax programs or a way to amortize something more quickly through a government program because you were going to maybe be upgrading your equipment technologically anyhow. I would, I would seriously consider it, but you talk about some of those other programs the one you're talking about is uh, section 179 yeah. that has gotten a lot of farmers in trouble because they took all of that depreciation up front. Yeah. Well, when you get in a tough year, you need that depreciation to keep yourself afloat at times. If you don't have any depreciation, typically that means your farm is no longer sustainable because your equipment's wore out mm-hmm. in this situation. It just means that you don't have anything to take the tax burden off in a really bad year, which may be the only time, only area where you make money, yeah, right. you know, you're still losing money, but it's one of those deals where um, 
by playing the task game, least, yeah, by, by, by playing the task game, you at least get yourself to. So here's the thing. That is one of the proposals now is that to, to a green initiative is to make it advantageous to buy or change out machinery to what would be more environmentally sound practices mm-hmm. through the, the way you do mechanical stuff. Yep. That is a proposal. Uh, I've seen that along with the cover crop portion. And those are the two main ones I've seen going back and forth about. And it's, and I should clarify that it's also a change of practice. It may not be that you're getting anything for new equipment and such, but they're paying, they're looking at paying people for a change of practice, even going from, let's say you're a full tillage to strip till or minimum tillage. They're talking about, there could be tiers of what you get paid to do some of those things. Yeah. That's one that actually probably I see a lot of people uh, agree with you. I think there's going to be a big bunch of people sitting on their hands on the carbon thing. Cause it's still too uh, wild west. It's still too in its infancy. I'd see a lot of people not being in a hurry to put uh, stuff into CRP because commodity prices are high. So the change that I see coming out of DC, that's going to actually have an impact is the ones you just said, it's going to be changing yeah. the practices, meaning, to, to do so requires equipment and mechanical changes or technological updates that's supposed to be more green or earth-friendly. I'd say that you're probably right on that. Yeah, and I want to make certain that people understand I'm not against cover crops or I'm a huge proponent of soil health. You know, we're blessed to be on this earth because there's of six <laughs> inches of topsoil and because of the fact it rains. Um, I don't remember who said that, but yeah, I do. The same as quote, but by the way, it's not, you talk about what's applicable. The people in Illinois, uh, uh, they get about 16 feet of topsoil. So it's only you and I that are out here start, struggle with six inches of the stuff. Uh, yeah. But it's one of those things. If I was in your area where, where guys are putting in, when I was back at Purdue, it was, uh, it was about 350 bucks an acre for tile ground, mm-hmm. uh, to put tile in ground. If I had a situation where I need to put tile in versus, spending we'll call it 50 bucks an acre to put cover crops in or relay crop or uh, any of those things i would be seriously trying those things before i decided to put 500 bucks an acre into tile uh, simply because of the other benefits that come with it and the cost structure of it why do i want to have a have a $350 outlay right off the bat versus 50 to try something. Yeah. I can do that six years and see if in six years I've made a significant difference. Uh, uh, I, I'd agree. That's what's going to happen there. By the way, when you said you, uh, you, you, you don't uh, begrudge me, I think that really you still have some animosity toward that whole uh, Midwest, that 400 miles well, either side of the Mississippi river. So anyway, <sighs> we're going to send you some counseling. I'm going to see if there's a government program to get you some, some anger management counseling, but uh <laughs> I just, I just wish that as a whole, whether it's inside the agricultural industry, because we are our own worst enemy in a lot of ways. Um, we, we tend to fight over each other and beat ourselves with the stick instead of going after the one carrot that they did give us. Um, but it's, we just need perspective of not every thing that they talk about or every situation that works for you doesn't necessarily work for me. And everything that I do doesn't work for you. It doesn't mean that it's not, everything is wrong or everything is right in a certain situation. There's nuance to all of it. Yeah. 
by the way, you're right. And that's the one thing USDA uh, rolls out these programs. And yeah, the, the almond producer in California has a whole hell of a lot of different circumstances than the corn producer that's down the road from me versus you versus the cotton guy in Alabama. Uh, I know that. All right. His name is Justin Luton. He's going to come back again because he's already been on this show twice and he's got uh, lots of opinions. I like his opinions. Actually, I, I, I like I like a, I like a young success-minded farmer who's also a Boilermaker who had a hell of a win yesterday, by the way. If you're listening to this, Purdue Boilermakers pulled off a biggie, pulled off a biggie against Michigan State. Uh, anyway, so if you want to check out Justin, where do they find you if they have a question, if they want to if they want to talk to you about carrots and sticks and, and conservation practices? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I got to actually look up my handle because I'd never look at that. Uh, I believe it's JLU21. Uh, it's J underscore L E W underscore two one is my Twitter handle. I'm fairly active on there. If you want to send me an email at Justin at lutonfarms.com, I'm willing to talk with anybody. <laughs> if you want to challenge me, I I love being challenged because that's the only way you learn. Yeah. And, and, you know, and let's face it, he doesn't have anything to do now until about April. So, I mean, he's going to be hanging out all winter. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks for being here. Do it again. And I, uh, I appreciate you being here. Uh, we will have more, by the way, dear listener and viewer about this, because this is still an absolute evolution. What's going on with these government programs. And I see a bunch of green initiative, whether it's, whether it makes perfect sense or not, I see the United States federal government um, being involved more from what uh, the voters are saying and the administration is pushing in the green thing. So stay tuned and we'll have more of that. Till next time. Thanks, Justin. Thank you. Till next time, it's the business of agriculture. This episode of the business of agriculture was brought to you by Land Trust. Landowners just like you are increasing profitability by adding recreation to their portfolio of land use. Millions of recreators actively seek wide-open spaces for birdwatching, photography, hunting, fishing, horseback riding, and many other farm and ranch activities. Owners of farm and ranch properties are partnering with Recreation Access Network Land Trust. Land Trust is an online platform connecting recreators with landowners for outdoor experiences on their land to increase profitability. Visit LandTrust.com BOA, as in Business of Agriculture, to learn more. That's LandTrust.com slash BOA.